Now, just the other day, uh, we, Robert and I were talking about a report that the new Game of Thrones spinoff series, the, the prequel, if you will, called House of the Dragon, which is set a few hundred years before the events of Game of Thrones involving a civil war amongst the Targaryen family, was now officially in production. Now, one of the stars of this new show is, of course, the former Doctor Who and the former Prince Philip. Matt Smith is in this as well. And today came out the first couple of pictures of that new Game of Thrones series, House of the Dragon. And we get to see Matt Smith here as Damon Tigarian. Uh, that's him there with his wife, another Tigarian. Of course, both of them sporting very Tigarian looks. I mean, very, very classic Tigarian looks. Uh, we get another look at them. I love these images, by the way. I mean, one of the things that I loved about Game of Thrones was the costume design. Like, the outfits always looked just amazing. And, you know, uh, Daenerys was one of the best-looking characters as far as their wardrobe. And I love seeing these images. These look great. They got the trademark, you know, white blonde hair that the Targaryens have. We see Matt Smith there looking pretty good. So, it's look, I don't know if this show is going to be great, fantastic, terrible, whatever. But it is neat to see these images coming out right now. Now, if I believe this whole era was referenced, I'm not a Game of Thrones expert by any stretch of the imagination, but if I'm not mistaken, I believe this time period was referenced in the show talking about the civil war between the Targaryens known as the Dance of Dragons. So this whole show is kind of revolving around that. And I think these images look good. I think the sound of the show sounds great. I love the cast that got lined up. Now, Maybe this will be a complete train wreck of a series. Maybe. But I've got high hopes. It's coming in 2022. We don't have to wait too terribly long. We only got about a year to wait. And I think these images look great. Great. The question is for you guys. What do you guys think about these images? How do you like seeing Doctor Who now in the realm of Game of Thrones? Are you excited for it? Are you kind of adopting a wait and see sort of attitude? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's do another off the top, and that is this. One of the things that I've kind of been really interested in is this new Chris Pratt movie that I believe is going straight to Amazon called The Tomorrow War. Now, we've talked about the synopsis of it before. I thought the synopsis sound pretty good. But now this morning, the first little teaser, it's only about a minute long. But the first teaser, teaser for The Tomorrow War came out. For those of you guys who don't remember, this is basically what this new movie is about. In The Tomorrow War, written by Zach Dean, the world is stunned when a group of time travelers arrive from the year 2051 to deliver an urgent message. 30 years in the future, mankind is losing a global war against a deadly alien species. The only hope for survival is for soldiers and civilians from the present to be transported to the future and join the fight. Among those recruited is high school teacher and family man Dan Forrester, played by Chris Pratt, determined to save the world for his young daughter. Dan teams up with a brilliant scientist, Yvonne Strahovski. Of course, she was in Chuck, and she's currently in The Handmaid's Tale. I love her. Uh, and his estranged father, the great J.K. Simmons, in a desperate quest to rewrite the fate of the planet. All right, and that comes to us from Deadline. So the first teaser drops today. And you know what? I thought it was pretty solid. Now, remember, it is just a teaser. 
And there's a good look at Johan Strahovski in it. I love her. She is, first of all, if you haven't watched Handmaid's Tale, you totally should. They just started the new season on HBO. It's a fan-effing-tastic show. Like, it's seriously, all the awards it's won and all this buzz you've heard about Handmaid's Tale, it's completely justified. The show is bonkers good. And uh, Yvonne Strahovski is bonkers good in it. She's so good in it. Anyway, we're going to see her here in the Tomorrow War. So this first little one-minute teaser, it really doesn't give us much. It just gives us a little bit of a sense of the visual style of the... um, a visual style of the thing. Did I say it was on HBO? I meant who, if I said HBO, my apologies. I meant Hulu. Uh, I, I just watched the new episode last night. Anyway, it's on Hulu, not HBO talking about hands, headmaid's tale. Anyway, back to the tomorrow war. So the tomorrow war, the new teaser just gives us a little bit of a, of a sense of the visual style of it, but it felt pretty exciting. I mean, everything from like the the carpet bombing over the city, you get a little bit of sense of the tension. Does it feel a little bit like a formulaic sci-fi alien movie? Absolutely it does, but that's just the first teaser. So I think this thing's got some potential. And unlike Netflix, which, you know, choke themselves by cranking out every out of every 10 original movies Netflix puts out, nine of them suck. Amazon's got a much better track record. So I'm very excited about this. I want to see this. I thought the little teaser was good. I am looking forward to a true full trailer. Um, That teaser was nice. It gave us a little bit of a taste, but I am looking forward to a legitimate trailer that espouses a little bit more of the story and all that kind of stuff. But you guys know me. I'm a big Chris Pratt fan. I'm a big J.K. Simmons fan. I love Yvonne Strahovski. So everything about this lines up for me. So I'm looking forward to this. The question is for you guys. Have you guys have a chance to see this new teaser for The Tomorrow War? I personally think it looks pretty good. Maybe you thought it just wasn't enough to form an opinion yet. Maybe you're not interested at all. Maybe you're a big Chris Pratt fan. Maybe you're not a Chris Pratt fan at all. Whatever you guys think, jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Let's do another off the top here, shall we? And that one is this. I am one of many people who absolutely adored the show Dexter. I thought Dexter, now I was a little bit late to the party. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, I jumped on board with Dexter about maybe halfway through season two. You know, I caught an episode and I thought that looks really good. And then a friend of mine, Serena, she said to me, okay, 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 but don't watch anymore. Go right back to last season and start watching episode one. Here's some DVDs. So I'm like, okay. So I went back and started watching, got instantly hooked, completely hooked on this show. The ending of the show maybe wasn't so great. Maybe the ending of the show wasn't so great, but I still like the final season. I know a lot of people didn't like the final season at all. I actually thought the final season overall was still pretty solid, but those that especially the last episode and the last couple of episodes, definitely they didn't stick the landing, no doubt. But I still love this show. Now, that's one of the reasons why I got so excited when they announced a while back that Michael C. Hall was coming back and they were doing another season of Dexter. And they're bringing Dexter back, picking up where we left off at the last one, which I am thrilled about. I am absolutely thrilled about. Now, of course, one of the characters I did not expect to see in the series because, well, she dies in the series, spoiler alert, 
is uh, his sister, adopted sister, played by Jennifer Carpenter. Uh, true story, a little bit of trivia if you didn't know. So Jennifer Carpenter and Michael C. Hall play adopted siblings who fall in love with each other in Dexter, but they were actually married in real life. Uh, they're, they're since been divorced, but they got married in real life too. Anyway, not expecting to see Jennifer Carpenter in the show. Well, now there's some buzzing going around that we're going to see Jennifer Carpenter back reprising her role of Deborah Morgan. Now, of course you might be asking yourself time out. This isn't the Marvel fake death cinematic universe. Uh, her character died There's no superheroes or time travel in Dexter. How the hell could she be coming back? Well, for those of you who watch Dexter, one of the things that regularly happened mostly was with his dead adopted father, Harry. You know, Dexter would constantly talk to Harry, his his adopted father who was dead, but he was a regular character in the show that he would speak to. It was not a real ghost, but it was in his head, but he would constantly have almost every episode have these interactions and conversations with Harry, Harry's law and all that sort of thing, right? So it would make sense that if Deborah's dead, she can come back and be that role, be that, you know, dead family member that he talks to all the time. So it's not literally back. Now, then again, there's all the other things. What if her death was faked? If you watched how she died in Dexter, very unlikely that she faked her death, but I suppose it's possible. Uh, other wild theories. It's a twin sister that, you know, Dexter never knew she had maybe, but it is probably just Deb. Now this comes to us from TV line or TV web, I should say, who write the following. Uh, and they, and it makes sense. It says many are convinced that the new crew member also shown up, by the way, this is all based on a social media post that, uh, Jennifer put out herself showing herself on set. And the speculation is, since the Dexter revival is shooting right now, that this is indeed for Dexter. Now, TV uh, web writes, many are also convinced that the crew member also shown in the image is wearing a Dexter lanyard with Jennifer Carpenter sporting a wardrobe that looks very similar to that worn by Deborah throughout the original run of the show, as she had a well-known affinity for striped shirts. Could Carpenter simply happen to be portraying a completely different character in a completely different show who also likes to wear striped garments, also while Dexter just happens to be filming right now. Don't be so ridiculous, says TV Web. Now, look, that's all well and good. That's all well and good. But we do have to keep in mind that um, that it is still possible while she is posting this picture, and yes, it is the kind of clothes that Deb wore, and yes, they are shooting Dexter right now. It is possible that she's just off shooting something else. Well, why is she keeping it a see? Why doesn't she just say what it is she's shooting? I don't know. I, in this particular circumstance, will buy into the conspiracy theories. I will buy in that I believe she is probably on set shooting the new season of Dexter. It just, it does seem to make sense right? They are shooting it now. The whole thing with Dexter talking to dead people, it seems to make sense. So I'm on board for this. Now, once again, I absolutely love this series. I loved, and one of the things that I love most about it was the dynamic between Dex and Deb. 
I thought their dynamic was fantastic. I love their chemistry together. Uh, the two of them, even though they're divorced, they famously still get along really, really well. They talk about each other a lot and they, we've, they've, they've been shown going to different functions together. So they still clearly have a very good relationship. So, Hey, I think this is great news. If this is true and what Jennifer Carpenter is actually posting about is actually her on set of Dexter. I think it's fantastic. It just makes me even more excited for the return of this show. Question is guys, what do you think about that? Maybe you don't think she's there shooting for Dexter. Maybe you think she's shooting for something else. Maybe you feel like I do. It's like, yeah, it seems pretty clear that is Dexter. Does that excite you? Do you not care about the revival of the show? Whatever do you guys think, jump on down into the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's do one last off the top here, shall we? And that one last off the top is this. You know, the trailer for at least that little teaser that we got for The Tomorrow War was not the only new trailer to drop. We also got a new trailer for the upcoming Pixar film, Luca. Now, this isn't the first trailer that Luca has put out. This is the new Pixar film about the little sea monster boy who turns into human form when he's on land. They put out trailers for this before. They had a little teaser once and they had a full trailer out. And if you guys remember us talking about it, now I love Pixar and I do not doubt Pixar. I don't doubt Pixar, but I also call it like I see it. And that last Luca trailer didn't really do it for me. I, I thought it was rather pedestrian. I didn't find anything particularly special about it. I said, look, it looks intriguing. Now, other Pixar movies have put out trailers that I didn't think looked any good. I didn't think Look Up looked particularly good. Uh, I didn't think Coco looked particularly good. And I ended up loving those films. So I wasn't saying that I'm doubting Pixar, but... You know, we were talking about the trailers that came out before, and I just got a call like I see it. I did not think the trailers were all that good. Well, a new trailer for Luca has come out, and I got to tell you, they finally put out a trailer that made it look really interesting. This was a trailer that I had been waiting for. Uh, not just because they gave us a little bit of the story, but I'm going to give you the big C word. No, not that C word, a different one. Charm. This trailer finally had that Pixar magic that I think the other trailers for this movie have not had yet. Charm. You know, they gave us more of these characters and I found them infinitely, here's the word again, charming. And I smiled when they spoke and did everything. And it's like, you know, when they call the women walking by, say, it's stupid. Like, come on. That was great. What do you kill with that thing? Anything that swims. Come on. That was charming. That was cute. And while, listen, I still don't think the other trailers were very good. But this trailer for me, I thought was really, really good. I, I, I got to admit, this is the one that's now got me on board. Now, of course, I was looking forward to Luca before just because it's Pixar. But I wasn't excited about it. I anticipated it'll probably be great because it's Pixar. But for right now, I wasn't excited. I'm excited now. This was the kind of trailer that wins you over. It, it captures your imaginations. It wins your spirit over. And again, it's that magic ingredient that Pixar needs to put in there, charm. And it had it in spades, so I really liked it. Question is for you guys. Did you guys have a chance to see this Luca trailer yet? Again, I think it's the best one they put out, which isn't too hard because I don't think the other ones have been particularly good. But this one has won me over. Do you feel the same way? Maybe you already love the other trailers. Maybe you don't think this one's all that good. Whatever you guys think, jump into the comment section below 
and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should have as a main topic here on the John Campia Show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Bryce Brownlee, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, and Rob's not here today, unfortunately. So I know you guys talked about the news of Captain America 4 the other day, but... It seems like you guys may have known about it before even Anthony Mackie did. He was just being interviewed by Entertainment Weekly and said that he actually didn't know anything about it until he saw it being reported in the news. So my question is, how definite is a Cap 4 if the supposed star didn't even know about it? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, man. Now, of course, we just had the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and in that finale... Sam embraces a new moniker of Captain America, a very different Captain America from Steve Rogers, which is one of the reasons why I think it works. You know, I've said this before a few times. I'll say it again. One of the things that I really was worried about with them making Sam the next Captain America was please don't just try to make him into Steve. And they didn't. They made him a very, very different and a very, very unique uh, Captain America of his own. And I appreciated that. So shortly after the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier came news that they're going to do a Captain America 4 that is going to be written by the show creator and main writer for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. Kind of seems like a no-brainer, right? Time Now that he's the new Captain America, going to make him, going to give him his movie. Although, it should be pointed out that the reports never specifically said that this would be Sam's movie. Now, they didn't have any definitive information on it. Anyway, uh, being asked about this new turn of events, uh, Entertainment Weekly was talking to Anthony Mackie and they asked him about this thing. And it turns out, if he's not lying, Anthony Mackie had no idea what was going on. This comes to us again from his interview in The Hollywood Reporter. Anthony Mackie said the following. I literally found out yesterday in a grocery store, the checkout guy named Dwayne, a cool cat. He's like, yo, man. I just love that he's talking about his checkout guy at the at the grocery store. Yo, man, is this real? Holds up a cell phone. I'm like, I haven't heard anything. That's what I love about working for Marvel. They call you. They're like, come to L.A. We want to tell you what's going on. So I'm excited to see what happens, but I haven't heard anything. Okay, so this to me is interesting. This to me is interesting. Now, the first possibility on the table is very legitimate which is Anthony Mackie's just playing coy. Anthony Mackie's saying that I didn't even know. Because honestly, is Disney, is Marvel going to publicly let information out that we're doing a Captain America 4? And by the way, uh, Rampage uh, Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. Appreciate that, man. Um, are they actually going to announce 
a Captain America 4 if Anthony Mackie is their Captain America and they haven't even talked to Anthony Mackie about it yet? And here's why this seems a little bit strange to me. The reason this seems a bit strange to me is because of this. Now, you could make the argument, well, John, you know, he's under contract. It's not like they have to get his permission to do it. He's under contract. He would have to do it. Yes, that's true. But you don't go ahead and announce the movie before you've even had a conversation with the guy. So I think we have to seriously consider the possibility here that Anthony Mackie is just playing coy when he says, I had no idea about this. I still don't know anything. That's what he said in his thing. Look at the last line. I I still haven't heard anything. He said, I still don't know anything about this. I haven't talked to them yet. I found out through a grocery store guy reading the news, and I still don't know what's going on here. So there, of course, is that. That seems very odd. It seems very odd, and it seems very weird. That being said, if he hadn't been talked to about it yet, right? If he hadn't been talked to about it yet, it raises a couple of options. Option number one, that that's just the way Marvel does things. They leave the actors out of it, maybe because they've had some bad experiences with actors leaking things, maybe. But option number one is, hey, yeah, they just decided not to talk to him about it until they had all their other stuff lined up, till they had the writer locked in, till they had all the, their, their plan set in place, and then they would talk to Anthony about it because that's how they like to do it. That's a possibility. Another possibility, and again, I'm not saying this is what it is. I'm just saying this is a possibility. Another possibility is if you go back to that original story, I believe it was uh, I believe it was Deadline that broke the story. It was either Deadline or The Hollywood Reporter. Either way, if you go back to the original story that broke, one of the things they mentioned was uh, it has not yet been confirmed that Chris Evans will be playing a part in this role or in this movie. They never got a denial from Marvel about it, but they weren't able to confirm it either. Is it possible... Now, again, I'm not saying this is likely. I'm just saying this is one of the possibilities. With Anthony Mackie saying he never even heard about this until he was in a grocery store, one of the possibilities, however unlikely, is that Captain America 4 is going to be a Chris Evans Captain America. Again, that seems unlikely with the fact that they literally just made Sam (laughs) the new Captain America It seems unlikely, like, I don't believe Sam is going to be Captain America for a super long time. I think at some point, Bucky's going to be Captain America. I think at some point, Steve comes back and becomes Captain America. Then at some point, Sam probably becomes Captain America again. But I believe we're probably at least in a window of time now for at least a few years that we're going to have Sam as Captain America. So it seems unlikely that they're just going to swap out Sam as Captain America for Steve as Captain America just like that. However, again, just putting it on the table, it is a possibility, especially with Anthony Mackie saying he didn't even know anything about it. And we already know about the reports of Chris Evans probably coming back. All right. So there's that. A third possibility here is a little bit of a mixture of the two is that they're going to have this movie. It's going to be called cap four and it's going to be Sam and Steve. And that they're going to end that movie 
really reinforcing, you know, Steve has come out of retirement. Maybe he's young again. Maybe he's still old man, Steve, and maybe they're both using the moniker. I don't know. But by the end of it, it's Steve. Like it's, it's great for the audience to see Sam saying, I'm embracing the Captain America title. And it's great to, for us to see Bucky telling him, yeah, man, you got to do this. You got to be this. But even though we had old man Steve handing over the shield at the end of Endgame, how much more powerful would it be for us to get to the end of a Captain America 4 and having, you know, Steve really sitting down with Sam and saying, and giving him like a really good, um, full expositional speech about this is why it's important, Sam, that you don't see yourself in my shoes. You're your own man. You. This is why you're worthy of this title, blah, blah, blah. It might go a long way for boosting up Sam as Captain America moving forward. So three options. Number one, Anthony Mackie was just straight up telling the truth. He just didn't hear about it, and that's the way Marvel does it. Possibility number two, maybe it's a Steve Rogers Captain America movie. Again, Unlikely for several reasons, but still a possibility. Or option number three, that's a little bit of the two, where it's going to be a Captain America 4 with both Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers. I don't know that that's particularly likely either, but I think probably the most likely scenario one. But these are possibilities we have to consider with Anthony Mackie saying he never even knew about any of this until he was in a grocery store. Anyway, what do you guys think? Do you think, which one of those three options do you think is most likely? Do you disagree with me? Do you think maybe option two or option three are more likely? Maybe there's some other options on the table that I'm overlooking right now. What might those be? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Uh, I'm sexy. Believe me, please. Who writes? That's a great username. Who writes? Hey, John. So the Hollywood Reporter just came with some exciting news. A new MonsterVerse film is in the works with Adam Wingard in talks to direct. Of course, he directed Godzilla vs. Kong. Also, another detail revealed is that one of the possible titles being floated internally is Son of Kong. This title makes me really excited. Papa Kong is real. Anyway, how do you feel about this? Do you think that a Kong, a Kong's son movie is a direction they should follow? Thanks for everything, John. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, sexy believe me. All right. Look, the the whole story and saga of Godzilla versus Kong is a really fascinating one. And I'm not even talking about the story that takes place in the movie. I'm talking about the story that takes place around the movies. Because Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out. And it's a total disaster, right? It's a terrible film. It did relatively poorly at the box office. Made 380-something million, which isn't bad. There are some filmmakers that would kill to have a movie that they do make 300-something million dollars, right? So it's, it's like not a total disaster, but it was a disappointment. And I said at the time, because you got to remember, when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, Godzilla versus Kong was already in production. And I said at the time, and I still believe this today, that if Godzilla versus Kong hadn't already been in production, they would have pulled the plug on it. Because uh, you were getting diminishing returns in this multi in this uh, monsterverse. 
Godzilla King of the Monsters was awful. I mean, some people really love it. As a matter of fact, Robert Meyer Burnett really loves that movie. He thinks it's great. I was personally very disappointed in it. And the box office results were very disappointing. And so had that movie not already been in production and they had already committed a whole bunch of money to it, I think they just would have pulled the plug on it. And then, of course, the whole pandemic thing happens, all that kind of stuff. And then Godzilla versus Kong comes out kind of leading the way. First big movie to come out in our current pandemic era that we seem to kind of be maybe hopefully heading into the tail end of the pandemic era. And what does it do? Godzilla versus Kong doesn't just do okay. It makes more money in a pandemic with limited theater capacity, a lot of people still too nervous to go to the movie theaters, and it being on TV on HBO Max, and it still made more money than Godzilla King of the Monsters does. As a matter of fact, let me um, look this up. Um... Godzilla versus Kong right now, like I know it passed the $400 million mark. Godzilla versus Kong passed the $400 million mark. Right now it is sitting at officially, well, I know it passed 410, but right now the official number is 406, which means it passed the box office totals of Godzilla King of the Monsters. Incredible. In a pandemic, limited theater capacity, on TV for free if people wanted to watch it there. Still a lot of people nervous to go back to the theater and it crossed $400 million worldwide. Now, after that, a whole bunch of people started writing in and asking me, John, do you think maybe they could do a mon another MonsterVerse movie, restore the MonsterVerse? And I said, listen, with these results, I would be shocked if they didn't. I completely believe they are going to do another MonsterVerse movie, whether it's a Godzilla movie or a King Kong movie or another Godzilla and Kong movie together, whatever. I, I would be shocked at this point if they didn't with these types of results. And this movie, although it had its issues, I made an entire video called The Five Worst Things About Godzilla vs. Kong. Despite the fact that it has those issues, this movie was bonkers fun. I loved watching this movie. I've watched it like three or four times already. I had bonkers fun watching this movie, and I can't wait to go back and see it again. Well, now apparently, turns out, you and I, all of us, we were right. They are planning to do another one. And it looks like Adam Wingard, who directed it, is going to do it. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who write the following. Now, instead of winding down the franchise, Godzilla vs. Kong may ramp it up. The Hollywood Reporter has learned that Legendary, that's the company, yeah, it's a Warner Brothers distributed, but Legendary is the company that put that movie together. They financed it. The Hollywood Reporter has learned that Legendary is quietly taking steps to stretch the series into one or more installments, entering early talks with Godzilla vs. Kong director Adam Wingard to return for another round of Monster on Monster Mayhem. In fact, one possible title being floated. This is from The Hollywood Reporter, remember? This is not Gus's gas station movie reviews dot fart. This is The Hollywood Reporter. One possible title being floated internally? The Sun of Kong. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, that comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter. Okay, number one. I don't think any of us are surprised with the big success of Godzilla versus Kong that Legendary is saying, yeah, let, we got to do this again. No big surprise there. Number two, no big surprise that they want Adam Wingard to come back and do another one. But you got to keep this in mind with Adam Wingard too. 
his dance card right now is pretty full. Remember, a director can work for two years or more on a movie. And he's got a couple he's doing. He's got like that Thundercats thing that he said that the animated one that the movie he wants to do, he's that apparently is happening. And they already talked a while ago that he signed on to do a face-off reboot. The classic John Travolta and Nick Cage movie. Never talk bad about face-off. That movie is awesome. I will go to the grave believing that. Anyway, face-off is is life. Face-off is awesome. If I let you suck my tongue, would you be grateful? Come on. That's academy-level writing right there. Anyway, so Adam Wingard's dance card is already pretty full. So what would that mean, theoretically? If he signs up to do a Godzilla vs. Kong 2 or a Son of Kong, does that mean we wouldn't be getting it to like 2026, 2027? Would he bump one of those other projects, Thundercats, Face Off? Would one of those get bumped to make room for a Godzilla vs. Kong? You know Legendary isn't going to want to sit around for four or five years. Like, I think that much is clear. Legendary won't want to sit around for just four or five years and, you know, patiently wait for Adam Wingard to have some time to get around to doing this next one. So something would probably have to give. But let's address the elephant or the gorilla in this case in the room, shall we? Son of Kong. All right, let's talk about that for a minute. Son of Kong. How? I mean, I, I, I guess the story would be somewhere down there in Hollow Earth, Kong comes across a Mrs. Pac-Man. Or, you know, a don- a Mrs. Donkey Kong. Is, is that what happens? Does he see a, a giant scaffolding with an Italian-looking plumber pushing barrels around? And lo and behold, there's a Mrs. Kong at the top of that thing throwing barrels down to kill that guy. And he falls in love. It's like, look at that form. Look at the way she rolls those barrels. You know what they say about a female gorilla. If she can roll a good barrel, I I have no idea where that analogy is going. I was making up as I was going along, and I thought I might think of an ending, and I didn't. So I'll let you guys come up with an ending to that analogy. Anyway, um, could it be? I mean, there's a really great um, uh, uh, angel in the live chat puts in a great option. Maybe they clone Why not? Cloning's popular in movies, right? Maybe they clone Kong. And they think, you know, we need another Kong. I don't know why they think we need another Kong, but okay. Do another Kong. And they clone one. Maybe that Kong goes bad. And Papa Kong's got to come around and put the smack down. Say, listen, Junior Donkey Kong. Yeah, know your place. I don't know. I'm just making up as I go. Look, all I know is this is that after Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I was ready. I was prepared. I was in a place emotionally that I could accept that the MonsterVerse, this giant kaiju MonsterVerse was probably done. And I would have been okay with that because, again, I didn't like Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Nah, but now we live in a world where we had Godzilla versus Kong. And I orgasmically enjoyed that film in the theater. God, guys, seriously, I'm telling you, having gone so long without being in the movie theaters, Godzilla versus Kong was just the perfect kind of empty calorie, sugar rush movie, giant monsters fighting each other, jumping from aircraft carrier to aircraft carrier, 
fucking King Kong with Stormbreaker and Mjolnir rolled into one. I know it was ridiculous, but it doesn't matter. It was damn fun. And being in that theater again, getting hopped up like I had uh, I had Kimberly Kern on my left and Ray Ora on my right. And we're just like, ah, like having so much. It was crazy. So I was ready for the whole MonsterVerse to be put to bed after King of the Monsters. I was totally ready for that. Now I want more. And I love the idea of Adam Wingard. Godzilla's son or uh, son of Kong. Okay. That's interesting. Son of Kong. Let's go with it. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? How do, how do you feel about it? Do you like the idea of continuing on the monsters? Maybe you didn't even like Godzilla versus Kong. And hey, there are bad things about that movie. I'm not denying that at all. So maybe you didn't even like the movie. Maybe you're over these kaiju movies. Maybe you can't wait for more. How do you guys feel? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's do one more main topic here today, shall we? And our final main topic today gets submitted to us by Francisco Faria. And Francisco writes, Hey, John, today there was exciting progress in the Ironheart series for Disney+. Variety reported that uh, Shanaka Hodge is set to write the Disney Plus Ironheart series. She wrote some episodes for the TNT Snowpiercer show, which a lot of people liked her work on that. Also, the series will have six episodes. By the way, that is that has not been confirmed by anybody. Uh, there's been no confirmation, I believe, that the, ser- the series will have six episodes. As a matter of fact, the show hasn't even been written yet, so I, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. Anyway. Uh, And the writer's room will be open in May. A 2022 release date, probably, probably not. I I, will get back to the question here a second. Probably not a 2022 release date. We're already, we're approaching mid 2021 and they haven't even started writing. We're, I mean, we're almost in May of 2021 and they haven't even started writing. So my guess, I have no insider information. My guess is the earliest we'll probably see this is 2023. But who knows? Never know. They might go very fast on this thing. Anyway, um, a 2022 release date probably. I guess so. Probably not. Either way, I'm really excited for it. What are your thoughts on this? All right. So this is an interesting one because a number of months ago, news came out that they were looking at doing an Ironheart series, right? And of course, Ironheart is, uh, I I believe the character's name is Riri, uh, this young girl who is a prodigy of electrical engineering creates her own iron armor suit in the lineage of Tony Stark's Iron Man and becomes her own hero, Ironheart. Now, if I remember correctly from reading this, this is a character that didn't even come into existence in the comics until 2016. Like, so this isn't like a character who has a long history. I believe it's a, it's a pretty new character. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety, who writes the following. The Ironheart series at Disney Plus has tapped uh, Chinaka Hodge to serve as head writer. Variety has learned exclusively from sources. Hodge is a screenwriter, poet, playwright, and educator. Her past television writing credits include the Apple reboot of Amazing Stories. I've heard great things about that, as, as a matter of fact. So has Rob. Rob's talked about that. As well as the TNT series adaptation of Snowpiercer, uh, starring David Diggs. So that's what we know right now as far as what we're going to be getting uh, out of this uh, series and out of this character. All right. As far as the writer, 
great. They got themselves a season writer. I've heard great things about that one series for Apple Plus, so that's good. I don't personally watch Snowpiercer, just to be clear. Um, I haven't watched the series, but I know a number of people who have watched it and they love it. And one of the things they rave about is the constant quality writing on the series. So that's a good thing. And Kevin Feige, he has this knack. You know, we were talking about this yesterday. Rob and I were talking about this on the show yesterday about when Kevin Feige tapped James Gunn to direct Guardians of the Galaxy. Who, a lot, I mean, I know who James Gunn was because I liked his old trauma stuff and I love, love, love his movie Slither, but most people had no idea who the hell James Gunn was. But he knew this guy will work perfectly within our vision of what this should be. He's going to be great. When Kevin Feige got uh, Peyton Reed, the director from, what was it called again? What's the cheerleader movie he did? Um... Guy, help me out. What was the cheerleader movie that Peyton Reed directed? I can't remember now. I, I've seen it in my head, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, um, just bring it. Is that what it was called? Oh, Marcus says, bring it on. Bring it on. That's what it is. Marcus says, bring it on. I was going to say, just bring it. Yeah, Peyton Reed, the guy who directed Bring It On is going to direct Ant-Man? Really? That's who you're getting to replace the wonderful... Um, I, I mean, look, it's, it's not that... Look, before anybody starts yelling at me, okay? Before anybody starts yelling at me, I'm not saying Bring It On was terrible. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, you've got Ant-Man, this big Marvel property, and you're going to give it to him? That's who's replacing Edgar Wright? But he knew, and I think Ant-Man is awesome. I, I mean, I think I love Ant-Man more than most people do. I thought Ant-Man was awesome, had so much character, had so much personality. It was a nice change of gears from the rest of the MCU to go smaller scale, uh, no pun intended. That was great. What about the Russo brothers? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry, time out, time out. The Captain America sequel, what are they calling it? Winter Soldier? So the Captain America sequel, you went out and got the guys who directed you, me, and Dupree? That's who you went to get to direct Captain America 2? Okay, sure, whatever. Look how that turned out. I'd say that turned out pretty well. Kevin Feige knows how to identify. And more recently now, when he went out and got Chloe to direct Eternals, everybody's like, wait, Chloe? Chloe Hugh, who, who, like in Guardians of the Galaxy. This was long before Nomadland came out and won her director of the year, the reigning, defending, undisputed best director in the world right now. And she's, because he just knew Kevin Feige knows how to identify this kind of talent. So while I do not know Hodge, I don't know her work very well. I, I don't watch Snowpiercer. I haven't seen this Apple TV Plus series. I don't personally have a lot of familiarity with her work. I do know this, though. Marvel crushes it getting talent and pairing them up with the right projects and property. It just always works. So I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. And it's going to be interesting to see how this one turns out. Now, one of the downsides for me on this is I'm not a big fan generally of derivative characters. 
And while, you know, they don't call Ironheart Iron Lady, but it's still, she makes a Tony Stark suit of Iron Man armor instead of calling herself Iron Man, calls herself Ironheart. I'm not a big fan of derivative characters, but whatever. We'll see how it goes. Um, but this will be an interesting thing. And at least they got somebody pretty seasoned. So here you go. Question is for you guys. Are you guys excited about Ironheart? Are you guys, do you guys watch the show Snowpiercer? Do you know Hodges' work? I'm a little bit in the dark on it. All I know is that Kevin Feige and his crew over at Marvel do a great job of getting the right writers and the right directors, even if we don't know them at all, and pairing them with the right projects. So we'll see how this works out. Whatever your thoughts are, guys, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that all down and out of the way, let's spend the rest of our afternoon here taking your live comments and questions, shall we? You guys have been firing them in, so let's get over there and start taking them now. We're going to get things started off here with Isaac, and Isaac writes, let me get him in the screen, there we go, Uh, Isaac writes, do you think that with uh, Eternals coming out in November, the Oscar Best Picture category having a hard 10 nominees going forward, could Chloe Zhao's next film get Academy attention next year? Uh, Black Panther was nominated, and Disney has stated that they are astounded with the results. Okay, so yes, uh, we have already heard word coming out of Disney that some people in Disney think Eternals might be their best Marvel film yet. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? That's just a couple of people's opinion. Maybe there are other people in Disney who think Eternals is the worst film yet, but I have personally talked to people within Disney who have said they feel they might have their best movie yet in Eternals. So maybe that's true. Maybe that's they're not. Maybe they're wrong, but whatever. Could it be possible that are reigning the best director in the world right now, Chloe Zhao, with her next film being Eternals. Could it be possible that Eternals get Oscar attention? I'll give you the answer that is the same. I'll give you an answer, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's the same answer for every movie that's coming out. Of course it's possible. But honestly, and I'm not being facetious, Peter Rabbit 2 has the possibility of getting one of the 10 Best Picture nomination spots. We simply just can't say until we see the damn movie, right? Like, if you had asked me before watching the Sean Penn, uh, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone uh, movie, Gangster Squad, if I thought that movie had a chance of being a Best Picture nominee, I'd say, hell yes! And then I saw the movie, and I'm like, oh my god, no. So, I mean, it's hard to say. So, I will say, yes, it's possible it gets that kind of attention, but every movie has the possibility of having that attention. Ask that a question again once we actually get to put our eyeballs on it and actually see it. Uh, until then, every movie is possible that they could get it. Okay, uh, next up, K Major writes, uh, thanks, John. Uh, now I want the best director winner announced uh, as such every year. Your new reigning, defending, undisputed heavyweight director of the world, Chloe Zhao. I mean, yeah, great. And it's, I mean, and good honor. I mean, it, not only did I think Nomadland is probably one of the five best films I've seen in the last five years. I mean, I haven't sat down to really do a ranking or anything, but I, I could totally see it being one of the, being in my top five of the best films of the last five years. It's remarkable. What she did was great. Only the second woman in history to win that award. First non-white woman in history to win that award. And she just deserved it. Now going over and doing 
a comic book film as well. It's unfortunate that it had to happen in an asterisk year like 2020. That's unfortunate, but I don't blame, you can't blame the winners. I don't blame Anthony Hopkins or any, or Chloe Zhao or any of the winners for winning. It's not that 2020 wasn't their fault, but it is what it is. So she is the current reigning defending best, uh, best director in the world. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what the director of Nomadland is going to be able to do with a big budget, big tentpole comic book property like a uh, uh, like an Eternals. It's it's going to be exciting, man. It's an exciting time. We'll see how it turns out. Hopefully, it doesn't completely suck. All right, next up, um, Ed. Ma- By the, some people saying uh, John thinks he's Paul. Dude, guys, get read a book, watch TV. That ain't Paul Heyman. That's Bruce Buffer. Get out of here with that Paul Heyman nonsense. That's the great Bruce Buffer, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Heyman copies Bruce Buffer. Give the Godman his due. His name is Bruce Buffer. Let those words permeate on your lips. He's such a, I love Bruce Buffer. He's great. I've actually played poker with Bruce Buffer. True story. Anyway, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, Where are we? Ed Matthews writes, I have a theory that Sharon Carter slash Power Broker may have been Sony Bur- uh, Sonny Birch's mysterious buyer from Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp, but we never got to see thoughts. No, I don't think so. Actually, you're not the first person to write that in. I've had a couple of people write that in, that theory. Uh, and it was funny because somebody wrote, the first time somebody wrote that theory in about who could the who could the Power Broker be, I think it was like after episode one or something like that. And Ann and I had just rewatched Ant-Man and the Wasp. And, you know, that scene with Walton Goggins and, and it's like we never know who he's working for. But no, I, I don't think it had anything to do with be working in the U.S. I think up to that point, Sharon had primarily been working right out of Madripoor. So my guess is that, no, it's not. again, I don't know for sure it's not. But my guess, if you're asking me to guess, my guess is that, no, it is not the same person. Uh, next up, uh, Demetrius writes, behold, the foot of Feige. You know what? Can, can I ask a favor, somebody? I cannot remember. I mean, obviously I remember behold the foot of Feige. I still remember. I can't remember when I did that. If any of you guys have an actual link to the episode that we did, that we first did the foot of Feige. I, if you could email that to me at John at the John show.com, just, just get that link with a timestamp and email me at jonathanjohncampusshow.com. I would love it. I can't even remember what brought up the foot of Feige. I just remember I literally brought my foot up on the uh, thing and said, behold, everyone, the foot of Feige. And that I think we were making fun. I think I was making fun of us Marvel fans about the fact that, like, Feige can do anything and we'll say it's, like, the greatest thing. Like, everybody, look, the foot of Feige. And we would all, like, Say it's the greatest foot in the world. I, I can't remember, though. I can't remember. So any of you guys have that, if you could email me that link, I would be most appreciative. All right. Behold the foot of Feige. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Willow, who writes, Was it a bad move for the Oscars to bet on Chadwick Boseman winning Best Actor when it's such a competitive category? I feel that the quote-unquote controversy uh, would have been, wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have been as big if had they ended the ceremony on Best Picture in Nomadland. No, I agree. Actually, I, we talked about it on yesterday's show and I even put it up as a video. Them arranging to have... Like, I didn't even watch the Oscars. 
I went b- back the next day and I loaded, I think it was on Hulu or something. I went back the next day and I kind of skimmed through and watched a bunch of it to see what all the complaining was about because it was a train wreck of a show. It was a total train wreck of the show. Again, proving that I've been right all along that they never should have done an Oscars this year. They never should have done an Oscars this year and they've hurt the Oscars brand. But this mind-numbingly stupid decision to not end the evening on Best Picture but instead end it on best actor because the producers of the show assumed that Chadwick Boseman was going to win and they would just have this big emotional, you know, pardon me, a speech by his wife, uh, his widow. Uh, It would be this big celebration of the life of Chadwick Boseman and it would have this big emotional crescendo, blah, 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 blah. And listen, full marks for wanting to honor Chadwick Boseman. Of course, I respect that. But as I pointed out in the video we put up yesterday, it was a totally idiotic decision. Number one, because it's the damn Oscars. You end with best picture. All right. Any other suggestion is just moronic. You end the Oscars with best picture. That being said, It was literally a no-win situation for the producers by putting the best actor category last because there are only two possible outcomes and both of the possible outcomes were going to equal a loss. Possible outcome number one, Chadwick Boseman doesn't actually win the award. Well, now you look like fools. Now you look like fools. Especially considering that they had this stupid rule that you couldn't Skype in or Zoom in to do an acceptance speech. You had to be there in person, and Anthony Hopkins couldn't be there in person. So it ended on best the Best Lead Actor Award and nobody there to give an acceptance speech. Way to go, guys. Way to go. And Anthony Hopkins totally deserved to win that award. But the point is, one of the options of the things happening was that what if Chadwick Boseman does not win? You're going to look stupid and you're going to make the whole show look stupid. So that was the one potential outcome. And obviously that's the one that happened. But even the other potential outcome, what was the other potential outcome? Well, potential outcome number one is that Chadwick Boseman doesn't win. Potential outcome number two might be even worse. What if Chadwick Boseman did win the award? Sure, you would have had that big emotional crescendo, and it w- but it would have felt very manipulated and very forced. But worst of all is this. It totally would have made the whole thing look fixed. You cannot tell me for all the freaking money in the world that had Chadwick Boseman won that award, that the narrative over Twitter and everywhere would have been, see, the Oscars are fixed. They fixed it so that Chadwick Boseman would win, and that's why they put that category last, because they knew he was going to win, because they put in the fix. So if Chadwick Boseman doesn't win, you'll look like a bunch of morons with your pants down and your dick in your hands. Oh, Chadwick didn't win. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's generally me in the morning before I've had breakfast. Anyway, uh, dick in hand and everything. So... If Chadwick does win, there's an image you won't be able to burn out of your mind for the rest of the day. Um, so if Chadwick Boseman doesn't win, you look like idiots. And if he does win, you've completely ruined 
the reputation of the Oscars because everybody in the world is going to think the Oscars are totally fixed. And you can't blame them for thinking that because that's totally how it would have looked, right? And they did not think it out. They didn't think it out. And uh, it ended up being a complete car crash. Um, Yeah, they never should have done the Oscars this year. I have been telling you guys this for six months. I've been telling you guys for like six months. There's so many reasons why they shouldn't do an Oscars this year. And glancing over it, it's like you can totally tell. Like from the fact that they had to do it in Little Union Station, it didn't have the the pomp and circumstance of the Oscars. It didn't even feel like the Oscars. You could feel the COVID-ness of it, the way that it impacted a lot of different things. It forced them to make some very odd decisions. And at the end of the day, it's unfortunate that like an Anthony Hopkins and the great Chloe Zhao, who probably would have won these awards even if they had delayed the Oscars until next year, they probably still would have won. But now there's going to be a little bit of an asterisk on their name. Anyway... For all those reasons and many others, this just proved it. They never should have had the awards this year. They should have delayed it until next year and had a really big field of nominees. And they didn't, and whatever, so here we are. All right, next up. Uh, Let's move on here. Uh, That was Willow. Uh, Nerf writes, Do you think after watching Falcon the Winter Soldier that Sam is worthy of wielding Mjolnir? No. Uh, Not every good guy can wield Mjolnir, right? All the Avengers are... Pure of heart, heroic, brave, self-sacrificing, ain't none of them could lift the hammer. Even Steve couldn't at first, right? So, no. I think I think Sam is as worthy an Avenger of any as anybody, but no, I don't think Sam would have been able to lift Mjolnir. Mjolnir isn't just like any random good person. I mean, it has to be like whatever but so no i don't think i don't think sam would have been worthy of uh, as i don't think any of the avengers other than steve rogers could lift me on here but that's just me all right next up levi jackson writes with movies like Zack snyder's justice league lord of the rings etc long four-hour movies do you believe there is a higher demand for it absolutely not uh it feels like an experience that can it feels like an experience and can fully tell a story compared to two hours no i completely disagree as a matter of fact i'll tell you right now Uh, Justice League Snyder Cut would have been much better if it had been like 40 minutes shorter. There was at least 40 minutes of material in uh, Zack Snyder's uh, version of Justice League, which I still think, even at four hours, was an improvement over the theatrical version. There was a lot of really good stuff in it. But there was also a lot of stuff that absolutely did not need to be there, and it just killed time. I've been saying this for a long time. Look, there are some movies that are like 90 minutes long, and that's perfect. Any longer would have felt like it was dragging it out. It would have lost its pace, all that kind of stuff. Longer does not equal better. Shorter does not equal better. Finding the right time, running time for your movie is what's better. For some movies, that's 90 minutes. For some movies, it's two and a half hours. I have seen a three-hour movie and thought, man, that, that could have been... Endgame. Endgame actually felt a little bit rushed. It also felt overpacked, but it felt a little bit rushed. Endgame was a movie you legitimately could have done in two parts. You could have done Infinity War and then Endgame Part 1 and Endgame Part 2. Like two two two-hour movies, and I think it probably would have breathed even better. And I've seen, you know, 92-minute movies that have felt like they're too long. So, no, in general, I don't think... There, I think it's a massive, massive misnomer to think longer equals better. That's just not true. That's just not true. Having more time can actually be a detriment. 
And, and I think a good example of that is the HBO version of Snyder Cut. It was simply, it, it should have been 20, 30, 40 minutes shorter. And, it, and I think it would have just sung. Like, I think it just would have had great pace, and I think it just would have sung even better than it did. But no, uh, there's definitely not a demand for it. Moviegoers don't want to go to the movies for four hours, uh, generally speaking. Obviously, some people do, but the general moviegoers don't. Hell, I have a hard time getting my brother-in-law, Ray, to go to a movie if it's over two hours and five minutes. The first thing, whenever I ask Ray, hey, yo, Ray, you want to go to see this? The first question he always asks me, first one, always ask me, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, How long is it? And I know that if I say, well, this movie is two hours and 15 minutes, he'll go, nah, man, no, no, I'll, 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 I'll just watch it later. I'll just watch it later. I mean, if, if, I mean, there are a lot of people like it. A lot of people don't want to go to the theater for four hours. But if there's a movie and four hours is the right runtime for it, great. And if 85 minutes is the right runtime for it, great. It's about a movie finding the right runtime for it and, and it uniquely. But that's my, uh, that's my uh, thing on that. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, the whole love triangle in X-Men The Last Stand is pretty hilarious now, uh, with a character who was later revealed to be gay in the comics, Iceman, torn between two girls played by bisexual Anna Paquin and a transgender man, Elliot Page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but remember, again, we're talking about uh, fictional performers playing characters. Perform- but again, the, the funniest part of that is now looking at it and understanding that Bobby was later portrayed as being a gay character in the comics and then watching, you know, kind of the love triangle thing. That makes it a little bit funny. But there's lots of examples of stuff like that. All right, next up. Uh, Nolan Dykstra writes, Did you see that the Demon Slayer movie came in number two at the box? Yeah, we talked about this yesterday. Came in number two at the box office this past weekend. It's now the number one highest grossing film in in Japan's box office history. My fiance and I love the show and are so glad the movie's doing well. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's, Look, any movie right now that can make $19 million in its opening weekend, it's impressive. Like right now, making $19 million opening weekend in North America is impressive. Uh, Especially like it opened with Mortal Kombat, which like made like 22, which is also very impressive. I don't personally care about Demon Slayer. I mean, I told this story yesterday. I'll, I'll say it again. Um... I was actually on AMC's website getting ready to buy tickets for me and Anne to go see Demon Slayer last night. I don't know anything about Demon Slayer, but I just had a lot of people. I just saw a lot of our viewers were very excited about it. So I said to Anne, it's like, hey, can we set some time aside tonight and run over to AMC and go watch Demon Slayer? And she's like, yeah, sure, we can do that. I'm like, great. She goes, do you know what it's about? I said, no, I don't know anything about it. And then Anne pointed, oh, look, there's a trailer right up there on AMC's ticket purchase page. There was a trailer for it. And I was like, great. So we pl- hit play. I watched the trailer and shut the browser down because I had no, after watching the trailer, I had no desire to go see the movie. I, I thought the trailer was really bad, at least in the sense that it didn't do anything to excite me. So that doesn't mean that that uh, it's not great. M- maybe it is great. I just, I know I watched the trailer and it just did not appeal to me. So, but regardless, it's very impressive, particularly right now for any film to make that kind of money on its opening weekend. It's a very, very impressive feat. All right, next up. Wiley Todd writes, uh, Hey, John, I just watched the first Rush Hour for the first time and was surprised how good it was, but dated in many ways. Uh, What do you think of the trilogy and which do you think is the best? I hated the first Rush Hour. Hated it. And I loved Rush Hour 2. 
for a long time. I mean, it happens more now than it used to where a sequel is as good or better than the, than the original film. It happens more often now, but you go back like seven, eight years ago and it was very rare for a sequel to be better than the original. Rush Hour 2 was one of those films. I thought Rush Hour 2 was fantastic. I loved it. To this day, I love it. Love it. Zhang Ziyi in that. Mm, it's great. And I hated the first one. And I hated the third one, too. I thought the third one was complete dog crap. So, yeah, I didn't like the first one. I didn't like the third one. But my heavens, I still adore and absolutely love that second one. I still think the second one is great. All right, next up. Wiley Todd also writes, John, years ago, I was uh, an indie film. I was in an indie film as an extra with a small speaking part. I was waiting for the movie to come out, but it never did. I know this happens with a bunch of movies, but why does this happen? Is it because it never got a distributor? Thanks. Yeah, that's it exactly. Lots of movies, just like we say, like for every 500 scripts to get written, one out of every 500 might get made into a movie. And a movie getting made does not mean it's going to get released. I mean, I would put money that the people who made that indie film you were in probably, you know, they probably put it online somewhere that people could watch it or maybe they had their own DVDs printed. I'm sure it came out one way, shape or form. But a movie getting made does not guarantee it's going to get released. Or at least released in what we consider to be the traditional avenues for release. Theatrical, Netflix, Amazon. Not every movie that gets made is going to actually end up on those. A lot of times, especially in the indie world, the indie filmmakers make these movies and then they take the movie and they try to take it to all sorts of festivals. They try to, first of all, getting into festivals isn't easy. Um, and if you do get into the festivals, hoping that you get into the right festivals, and if you do get into the right festivals, that potential distributors and buyers are there and they're impressed with your movie, and then hopefully that happens. But for a lot of these, I'd say the vast majority of these indie films that get made, they never do get that you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where they get into the right festival, gets discovered by a distributor who makes an offer on the film and it gets a traditional release, be it theatrical, Netflix, whatever. But yeah, happens a lot, man. Making a movie is not the end of the road, man. It's just the beginning of that journey. All right, next up. Um, Suthius writes, we don't talk about music videos much, do we? No, because we're not a music video channel, Suthius. Uh, I bring this up because one of my favorite songs called Bismarck uh, is by an awesome band named Sabaton. Uh, the music video for this song is pretty cinematic. World War One battle with seas. Uh, visual effects look amazing. I recommend. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of music videos anymore. There was an era when music videos were king. I, yeah, music videos. I mean, back. I mean, I'm not even just talking. I'm not even saying all the way back in like the MTV or Much Music days. I'm not even talking about that far back. But even after those eras, music videos just seem to be more important at a certain time. They don't seem to be as important anymore. But yeah, you're right. I, I really don't pay many attention to. Uh, uh, I don't pay pay much attention to music videos, honestly. Uh, next up, B Wayne, New York writes. Hey, John, have you heard anything about that new uh, FX Shogun series? I have great memories of watching the 80s original with my dad. Also, uh, that was with Richard Chamberlain. Uh, also, have you ever seen the series Noble House based on the uh, Clavel novel uh, of warring families in the 80s? Japan, it starred Piers Brosnan, and it was actually considered a continuation of Shogun. 
I never did watch it because I always heard it wasn't any good. So I've never seen it. I'm not saying it's not good because I haven't seen it. But that affects Shogun series. At that event where Disney made all the announcements about all the upcoming Disney Plus Marvel shows and all the upcoming Star Wars shows, out of all those exciting things, the one thing that excited me the most was Shogun. When they start talking about, we've got a series here on effects set for this and this and this. And I'm like, this? They're not talking about Shogun on there. Oh my God. Are they talking about Shogun? Is this Shogun? And then they say Shogun. I'm like, ah! I nothing. No Star Wars announcement. No Marvel Cinematic Universe announcement. Nothing at that Disney event. No announcement at that event excited me more than the Shogun one. That Shogun is a story I have been praying to the movie gods for decades for somebody to come along and redo Shogun. I love the original, the James Cavell novel. I love the original miniseries. Uh, It is a story that could be told so well today. Nothing has excited me more. I don't know any more information of it, but I cannot wait for it, B. Wayne. All right, next up, Nick Parrish writes, uh, what's up, John? Even though I got a good laugh when you ripped uh, the Mortal Kombat filmmakers, uh, I have. I also have to admit, I felt kind of bad because this was Simon McQuaid's uh, first film. I agree with your sentiments on the movie, but maybe he'll improve with another film. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I said about Mortal Kombat for a long time. I'm excited about it, but I'm nervous because it is both a first-time director and the screenwriter was the first time they had a script made into a movie. That makes me nervous. And even though I had some fun, I had some good fun with Mortal Kombat, it's an atrocious movie. It's it's atrocious. I mean, better than I could have done, but I'm not the standard of excellence, am I? It was an atrociously done movie. There's so much. The more I think about it, the less I like it. Uh, although I am going to go back and watch it again. I might actually, I might actually even go over to uh, the Tyler Galleria tonight and go watch it again. Um Because the fun parts are still fun. But we talked about this on the show yesterday. It's his first movie. He is bound to get better. He now has some experience under his belt. He's been on set of a movie. He's going to learn lessons, and hopefully he'll get better. You know, I said yesterday, and I wasn't just trying to be stupid. I mean, it's it's true. Listen, the first time you had sex, you you were terrible at it. You may not know you were terrible at it. You were terrible at it. Right. And hopefully you got better. Hopefully you got better. But you were pretty terrible. You might have been with a very generous person who told you you did great. Believe me when I tell you they were just being nice. You were terrible at it. But hopefully you get better. Now that he's now that Simon's done a feature film, he's got that experience. He's recognized what he did that worked. He's recognized what he did that didn't work. So, yeah, hopefully the next one he does, and hopefully he gets a chance to do another movie. Hopefully the next one he does, I expect he'll make some big improvements. And then the idea is you keep improving, and you keep getting better. And uh, that's the hope. So, yeah, just because the first one was bad, that's okay. Your first time out wasn't... Not everybody can be Ben Affleck, where the first movie you put out is a potential Oscar contender. Not everybody can be that. So um, here's hoping for a good future from him, and here's hoping he gets another opportunity. All right, next up. Uh, Boris writes, John, 
My girl has done it again. For me, Francis McDormand is the goat. Three billboards is just so fucking good. And the F word is important because she used it so damn well in that movie. Never thought I'd see Mrs. Clavel say, hey, fuckhead. Thanks, John. Listen, seriously, her performance, which she won the Academy Award for Best Actress of the Year a couple of years ago for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Her performance in that is stupid awesome. Like stupid awesome. If you have not seen that, and now, of course, she just won her third Best Actress Award at the Academy Awards. Only one other actress in history has as many Best Lead Actress Awards in history. And that lady's name was Hepburn, who has four. That's the record. No lead actor or lead actress other than Hepburn has four Best Lead Academy Awards. She's now got the second most with three. She, I, I still think the street monster is the goat. She has three Oscars, uh, two for best lead actress, one for best supporting. And she's got like how many other, like 18 other nominations, that kind of consistent excellence. I still think that makes the street monster the goat, but Francis has to be in the conversation has to be in the conversation. And guess what? She's going to win more. I am telling you right now, Frances McDormand is going to win more. Not one more. I think she's still got multiple more Oscars she's going to win. For now, I still think Meryl's the GOAT, but Frances is in the conversation. Let's see where that conversation is at four or five years from now. All right. Thanks for that, Boris. Next up, Boris writes, also, although I hated the uh, Tata Transformers 3, my least favorite in the first trilogy, like seriously, a pile of crap, Francis freaking McDormand was still amazing in it, clean, classy, in charge, and in a suit. All I could have asked for, have a great day, John. Yeah, listen, we've seen some great people in those terrible Transformers movies. Never blame the performers, you know, when they just are thrown into the midst of a really bad movie. Never, It's never there for Boris. All right, Carlos writes, uh, one of three. Hello, John. I hope the team is doing well. The team is doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, in regards, by the way, I talked to Aaron Cummings last night. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but Aaron just had some pretty exciting news um, that I will let her share when she's on the show again next. But anyway, I, I was it's, just, it's really cool. It's really cool news, but I'll let her tell you guys. Anyway, one of three. Hello, John. I hope the team is doing well today. In regards to Anthony Hopkins' well-deserved win, from my side of the internet, uh, the frustration is aimed at the Academy for how they decided for how they decided to pay, to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman's death. Uh, as you referenced on Monday's show, the Oscars milked Bozeman's death to the point of moving the Best Actor category last, and they even created Bozeman NFTZ. I heard about that. After all of this, it left a sour taste in people's mouth to see Bozeman lose his last chance to win an Oscar. Now people see the Oscars tribute to Bozeman as exploiting his death for ratings. Personally, I think it was tone deaf of the Oscars to milk his death the way they did. Uh, and it's frustrating to think about the outcome of the night. See, here's the thing, Carlos. Now, look, I have been ripping the Oscars the last couple of days. Justly so. Justifiably so. But I have been ripping them the last couple of days. But let me play devil's advocate just for a moment. When it comes to the passing of Chadwick Boseman, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, the Oscars were a little bit in a no-win situation, right? 
there was a very, very fine line that they had to try to navigate. Now, again, moving the best actor category as the final award of the evening was way too far. They never should have done it. We already explained why. But that notwithstanding, with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, the fact that he was nominated for an Academy Award and all this kind, the fact that he died when he was like at the height of his fame, power, and popularity, the reality is this. If they had done any less, you know there would be people online screaming at the Oscars for not doing enough to honor Chadwick Boseman. Then if they do a little bit too much, they're going to get yelled and screamed at. You're just trying to capitalize on the death of Chadwick Boseman. You're trying to take advantage of the death of Chadwick Boseman. So if you're a little bit on this side, you're going to get screamed at for not doing enough to honor him. If you're a little bit on this side, they're going to get screamed at for trying to take advantage. And somewhere in the middle was this very narrow, very narrow little bit of space where people would have gone, okay, you did just enough and you didn't do too much. But that was a very, very narrow line. So as much as I've been ripping the Oscars, deservedly so for a lot of the dumb things they did, having this show at all was dumb. But I, I, I think you also have to cut them a little bit of slack because don't pretend, don't pretend that there wasn't a lot of people getting ready to rip the Oscars for not doing enough to honor the late, great Chadwick Boseman. You know there's a lot of people that would have been ripping them for that. Did they overcompensate? Probably. Well, definitely. <laughs> they overcompensated and then got themselves. But I think they would rather face the backlash from people of being accused of trying to take advantage of his passing more than they would have wanted the accusation of you didn't do enough to honor him and probably didn't do enough because of race. You know, that that's a discussion they just don't want to have out there. So I think they would have rather have erred on the side of doing a little too much. But again, I'm not saying I agreed how they handled things. I'm just saying I think we have to acknowledge that they were in a very, very tough spot. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying we have to at least acknowledge they were in a very, very difficult spot. So anyway, that's kind of my take on that. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Um, where are we at? We are at, uh, that was Carlos. Thanks for sending that in, Carlos, by the way. BK Dan writes, John, watching uh, the last companion video, and I just realized that in my time in watching you, I don't think you've uh, explained the chair with your name on it in studio. Oh, the, the director's chair back here. That said, can you tell a sto short story about how you got the chair? Thanks and bring on the filthy. So I think you're, you're, you're talking about the, the director's chair. You can't see the name on it. Maybe if I roll back, it'll go and focus more. Yeah, you can see the name there. Okay, so it's got my name. It's a director's chair. It's got my name, John Campia. Uh, a quick story. Um, it was, that was a gift from my wife, Anne. It was very early in our relationship. Uh, we had not been together for long, but it was relatively early in our relationship and things were going good. And I was shooting my movie, The Anniversary, the first movie I you know, my, my first narrative movie that I'd ever made called The Anniversary. And as a gift, my girlfriend at the time, Anne, bought me this director's chair with my name on it. If anything screams, she's a keeper. It's that. 
Nothing else screamed to me more that she's a keeper than when that, because how perfect of a gift is that for any film fan, but for a film fan who's also trying to like make their own first movie, uh, this little Filipina fury, um, like most remarkable woman in the world, uh, goes out and gets me that how great of a gift is that? And, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's, that's the little story. Uh, behind that chair. Thanks for asking, man. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. All right. Next up, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, since the next few years of Marvel theatrical releases is accounted for, do you think it's possible Captain America 4 will premiere on Disney Plus? Nah. Uh, Sounds crazy, but if you can have the first uh, season being told on Disney, who's to say that the movie can't? Yeah, I I really don't think they're in that place right now. Where they are right now is, pandemic notwithstanding, Theatrical is their first choice. It's always their first choice. Now, look, that's not to say that Disney isn't going to make movies specifically for Disney+. Plus. Of course they will. But a Captain America 4, uh, let's put it this way. It is absolutely possible. I'm just saying I would be very surprised. That is one you put in theaters because that's something that can make you seven or $800 million. You ain't going to get that money on Disney+. Plus, Right. That, that's a part that everybody, everybody treats the theatrical or streaming issue as if it's one or the other. Don't forget, you can make this movie, put it in theaters, make $700 million, and then you still get to put it on Disney Plus later. You get to have both. So yeah, I, I definitely think, and again, They may change directions, but I definitely think that when they do get around to doing Captain America 4, I do definitely believe it'll be a theatrical thing, pandemic notwithstanding. All right, next up, uh, Ryan writes, hey, John, what were your thoughts on UFC 261? Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, This past weekend, best card in a long time with fans being back. And uh, uh, man, uh, Kamaru Usman is a beast. Dude, I've been saying... You know, I laugh. I laugh. I get it. Guys like Conor McGregor, it's sexy. He, he's got the mic skills. He's charismatic. He's flamboyant. But when he was going in to fight Habib Nurmagomedov, the, without exception, baddest man on the planet, but he's boring. He's from, I can't remember. Was he he's, uh, Uzbekistan? I can't even remember where he's from. He's boring, you know, oh, he, he never talks. He doesn't have the mic skills, whatever. And people like looked at me like I was some kind of idiot when I told everybody, oh, make no mistake about it. Put every dollar you have. Nurmagomedov is going to beat Conor McGregor. No, nah, you don't know what you're talking about, John. Sure enough. And then it and then, of course, it could be, you know, made him tap out. It all happened again when Kamaru was fighting Masvidal. I get it. Masvidal is this big, sexy name, right? He's flamboyant. He's got charisma. He had that big, you know, against uh, the big flying knee knockout, the fastest knockout in UFC history. It's got all the sexiness. But I told everybody he has no chance against Usman. He has no chance. And sure enough, in the first fight, he he never once had uh, Usman in trouble. Never once had him in trouble. And then sure enough, they come back and run it back again. And Usman took his head off. 
And and don't get me wrong, I like Masvidal, I do. But that was not surprising at all. But the whole card, like Chris Weidman's, oh, if you guys haven't seen Chris Weidman's leg break, I don't care if you think you're good at watching horror movies. If you go on YouTube and search for Chris Weidman leg break, do it on an empty stomach because you may puke. Um, and then the Anthony Smith fight where, the, where that leg kick knocked the guy's knee out entirely. His leg was flopping around. The guy's standing there on one leg, the leg flopping around. It's like, let's go, let's go. I'm like, that is a warrior right there. Uh, the incredible uh, Rose, are you kidding me? Thug Rose with the one kick to the head knockout. Over, uh, I mean, it was an incredible Valentina, my girl, Valentina Shashenko. She, I think she's the baddest one on the planet. Listen, I'll tell you what. I think she beats Amanda Nunez. I'm telling you right now, she won the second fight. It was close. I have no complaints that the judges gave it to Amanda Nunez. I think Amanda Nunez is amazing. So I got no complaints. But me and a hell of a lot of other people actually thought Valentina won that second fight. I, we got to see the trilogy fight. We've got to see Amanda and uh, Valentina because there is simply nobody else on the planet for either of them to fight. There is nobody on this planet who can beat Amanda Nunez, and there ain't nobody on the planet who can beat Valentina Shashenko. That, I mean, that's it. It's Abomination and Incredible Hulk. It's Batman versus Superman. It's the, you know, immovable force against the unstoppable object. It's the only fight left for either of them. Anyway, because Andrage is a beast, man. What Valentina did to Andrage, she did that to the number one contender in the world, destroyed her, completely dominated and outclassed the number one contender in the world. Valentina is a beast. Amanda Nunez is a beast. It's the only fight left. Anyway, I know I'm going on and on, but UFC 261 was a blast. I think we're about to find out in about a week and a half from now about another massive outbreak of COVID because of all those people, those 15,000 people in that arena. None of them were in masks. Yeah, we're about to hear about a whole bunch of people getting COVID and some of them probably dying, but the card itself was insanely good. Insanely good. I don't often go back and rewatch entire UFCs. I went back and rewatched the whole damn thing. It was a great card. I, I cannot wait. Uh, I cannot wait to see the rest of them. All right. Uh, next up. Sorry, I get excited when I start talking about MMA and everything. So I, I get going on that. Anyway, uh, next up. Uh, Scott Brown writes. Uh, Mortal Kombat was just okay, but fun for a fan. Uh, Luke Kang was great. Raiden was good. And I liked uh, Sonya and Kano. Sonya was a terrible character. Kano was fun. Kano was pretty funny. He got to be annoying as hell, but he had the best one-liners in the movie, no doubt. The best parts were by far were Sub-Zero and Scorpion, and Cole was mediocre. But I thought there was fantastic potential there for movies going forward. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I think... I think anything that was fun about the movie was something almost anybody could have done. Every other aspect of filmmaking when it comes to that movie, the direction, the script, the dialogue, the editing was absolutely atrocious. And, you know, well, John, it's Mortal Kombat. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. Oh, I know. But, you know, Rob brought this up yesterday, and I thought it was a really good thing. You bring up another movie like The Raid. If you haven't seen The Raid or The Raid 2, you totally should. You'd love it. But, and and Bihan or uh, Sub-Zero was in The Raid. Anyway, you look at The Raid, 
It's got everything, all the good stuff that Mortal Kombat has. Heart-stopping action. Maybe, I mean, better action than Mortal Kombat, but The Raid is like one of the best action movies ever made. But like incredible action, oh my God moments, jaw on the floor stuff, right? But they also made a really good movie where you got invested in the characters and drama was built into the action. And they actually constructed a really solid story around everything that was going on and happening in the raid surrounding all the action. You see, we as film fans, including me, I am guilty of this. Believe me, I know I'm very self-aware that I'm guilty of this myself. We as film fans jump to make excuses for films saying, yeah, well, I mean, we understand it's not meant to be Shakespeare. Sure, but why can't you make a great, fun action film and make it a really solid movie at the same time. Why can't you do both? Why not do both? See, that's why we're still talking about the raid 10 years later. I don't know that we're going to be talking about this Mortal Kombat movie 10 days from now, let alone 10 months from now. But the raid, we still talk about it, right? Why not do both? Give us both. Make it a good, solid movie and give us all the great fun stuff. Anyway, uh, that's just me. Uh, but again, not pretending like I didn't have a really good time watching Mortal Kombat. I did have a good time and I'll probably watch it again. But I just wish, I wish they had decided, let's not just make a fun little movie with a bunch of fan service. Let's actually make a good movie. Let's write a great story and let's put in some really good, compelling dialogue and let's give depth to our characters and make something really special. And, and they didn't do that. And I think that's unfortunate. All right, next up. Um... Where are we at here? We're at uh, Great Grabthar's Hammer writes, all this talk about Andy Serkis, and I thought I'd mention uh, the one motion capture character that had him in a human role with Captain Archibald Haddock from 2011's The Adventures of Tintin. It, people don't really count that because the whole thing was animated, but I see where you're going with that. AKA the best indie film that's not an indie film. Very underrated movie. And listen, here's the funny thing about Tintin. To this day, I remember the plan was that they, I think they were going to do three Tintin movies. One, Spielberg would direct and Peter Jackson would produce. The next one, Peter Jackson would produce and Steven Spielberg would direct, or it might have been the other way around. And then I can't remember what they were going to do with the third one. They had always said they were going to do three. To this day, they continue to say they're going to do another one. But I, I've been saying for five years now, I don't think that next Tintin movie is ever going to happen. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. But yes, Tintin was actually very, very good. And I don't know why Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg keep pretending like they're going to do it. We know they're not. Uh, it's just been way too long. And if they do end up doing it, it's far too late. But uh, who knows? We'll see where they go. All right. Uh, Stefan Delin Wouters writes, does your appreciation for a director increase when they also write and or edit their movies. Not really. Uh, for instance, uh, Mike Flanagan, Dr. Sleep. Uh, by the way, I love Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep, totally underrated movie. That movie should not have bombed. That movie was fantastic. Anyway, uh, Haunting of Hill House, writes, directs, and edits uh, his movies and shows all by himself, and he does an amazing job. Yeah, honestly, no, it doesn't impress me anymore. I think if you're a great director... You're a great director. I don't think you writing your own stuff makes you any more of an impressive as a director. It may make you a little bit more impressive as a person. Um, uh, so, yeah. No, not really. I, I still look at them in a very compartmentalized way. How are they as a director? How are they as a writer? How are they as an editor? 
You know, I don't think a director who also writes and edits that that's more impressive. That doesn't make them a more impressive director, in my opinion, at any rate. Maybe more impressive overall as a talent, but yeah, but that's just me. I mean, I could totally see a good argument, uh, Stefan, about why it would increase how you see them in any one of the fields. But for me, I still keep it pretty compartmentalized, but that's just me. Just like so, like a really good director who writes a bad script, that doesn't negatively affect how I see them as a director, like not in the least. Any more than writing a great script makes me think they're an even better director. But I don't know if I'm articulating that right because it's a very good question. I hope I answer that uh, right, Stefan. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, Playmaker writes, Hey, John. Now that WandaVision and Falcon the Winter Soldier are out, I was wondering where they rank for you among all the other MCU projects. Could you give us an updated... No, I'm not doing rankings. I, I don't do lists. Uh, can you give us an updated MCU ranking list with them included? Thanks and keep up the good work. So, listen, I, I loved it. Now, do I loved... First of all, I liked WandaVision more than I did Falcon and Winter Soldier. I really enjoyed both of them. But I give the slight edge to WandaVision. I don't put WandaVision in the same category or on the same tier as Winter Soldier, Civil War, um, uh, what is some of that mean? Uh, Infinity War, Endgame, the first Avengers. I don't put it on that tier. I might put it on the next tier down. Like the next tier down where movies that I really, really enjoy, movies like Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, that's uh, Doctor Strange, that sort of next tier down. Like there's the top, top tier for movies like Avengers, uh, Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier, Endgame, Infinity War. Then there's the next tier down for really, really, really good movies, like great movies even. Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy. I'd probably put WandaVision in there. I'd probably put WandaVision in there. Um... Yeah, so that's probably where I'd put WandaVision. Maybe even Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier might be on the third tier down for like really solid movies. Not not great, but really solid movies that I still quite enjoyed, like like an Ant-Man 2 or things like, I, I, I don't know. They're close though. They're close. So that's a general thought. All right, next up. Uh, Melk, Melkorzilla writes, what will happen first, Man of Steel 2 or Nick Jonas winning an Oscar? Hey, listen, don't last. After I watched a bit of Kingdom, um, with Nick Jonas, him winning an Oscar someday is not the most ridiculous thing. He'd have to continue to get much better, but it's not the most ridiculous concept. After I watched Kingdom, you know what? It's not the most ludicrous thing to think at some point, if he continues getting better, that he could someday be in the running for an Academy Award. Honestly. And I know there are a bunch of people who have never seen Kingdom going, no, he's Nick, he's a Jonas brother. I, I get it, but he was really good. He was really good in Kingdom. Not good enough to win an Oscar, but I mean, if he could continue to develop that, uh, that'd be something. And I, I'm i losing hope day by day that we're ever going to see a Man of Steel 2, so I'm not so sure. All right, next up, uh, Caleb writes. Uh, did you see that the uh, Hank Spielberg's third World War II miniseries, Masters of the Air, uh, started production in London? I did not. Uh, it's been in development uh, hell for years. I know I've heard about it for a long time. I had no idea it was in production. But I can't wait, especially since Kerry uh, Fukunaga is directing the first three episodes. Are you excited for this? I'd be lying if I said I was excited for it. I'm intrigued by it. I am interested in it. Uh, maybe once I start seeing some actual footage, I'll get excited. I'm not excited yet, but I'm on board. 
I'm intrigued. I'm just going to have to wait till I see some stuff to actually, you know, cross that line and become excited for it. Uh, all right. Even though I love Hanks and Spielberg, obviously. Uh, Jesse writes, in honor of Evan Peters as Ralph Bonner, I would appreciate if both James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender appear in the MCU as Jonathan Weiner and Richard Johnson, respectively. Uh, it's time to move past the whole, the, the whole uh, Ralph Bonner joke. I get it. I get it. But we're now like, what, two months after it, it's time to let it go. Time to let it go. All right. Porg based diet. I love that. Writes, what percentage out of 100 would you give Steve Rogers slash Chris Evans return is as a scroll zero uh, or through a multiverse option as those are two big arcs Marvel is exploring? I don't think the scroll thing is nearly. Uh, look, let me go on record here. This is not insider information or anything. I do not think the scroll angle is nearly as major or as important or as wide scoping in the MCU as some people make it out to be. I, there are a bunch of people who think the whole scroll thing is going to be like all encompassing. It's going to change everything in the MCU. I really don't think it is. I think it's going to be very, very confined. I think that's one of the reasons why we're just getting this uh, secret invasion series on Disney plus. I think again, I'm not saying it's irrelevant, I'm just saying I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as see everybody right now is theorizing everybody's a scroll. Sharon Carter's a scroll. Captain America's a scroll. Thor's a scroll. Everybody's the, the, they're a scroll. Everybody's a scroll. Hey, do you guys see Ant Man? It's a scroll. It's like we're all that dog from the movie Up. Whenever he sees a squirrel, yes, I think it was squirrel. That's like everything now we see. Somebody walks on like the bartender in Falcon Winter Soldier. Hey, smiling tiger, scroll! Everybody thinks everybody's a scroll now. I, I again, I think it'll be fun, but I think it's a much smaller chance than think. Multiverse stuff is is a little bit is a little bit different. Multiverse is a little bit different. Could we see Steve like from a multiverse thing? I mean, that's possible. Again, my theory is, and again, this is just me theorizing, completely just wild fan speculative theorizing. But I've said this for about a year now. I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to be used to end multiverse. I think part of the reason it's going to be called Multiverse of Madness. And again, this is just me speculating as a fan. Could be a thousand percent wrong. But I think the whole thing about Multiverse of Madness is that multiverse is going to get so out of hand. It's threatening the fabric of reality itself. And I think Multiverse of Madness is going to be about Doctor Strange shutting the whole thing down. I think maybe part of it is going to be Wanda trying to, in another reality multiverse, get her kids that maybe exist in one of those multiverse things and bring them over, and it's destroying the fabric of time and space. And I, I again, theorizing completely, but my theory has been for over a year that I think they're going to use that movie to, to finish the multiverse. I'm not willing to put any money on that. Nobody come back to me you know, a year and a half from now when the movie comes out, say, John, you guaranteed it would be ending. No, 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 no. I'm just speculating out of my ass, but that's kind of where I'm leaning. I'm kind of thinking they're going to do that. They could do something completely different. We'll see, but I give a 10% chance that we see a Steve Rogers thing from multiverse thing. I'll, I'll go zero that Steve Rogers is a scroll. Uh, all right, next up. Uh, Scott Brown writes, 
after watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, even with its problems and plot issues, because of the fantastic character development, I didn't think it had any plot issues <laughs> to me personally. Anyway, uh, because of the fantastic character development, I didn't care. I had a great time. To me, this is a great example that character should come first because it can cover up so many weaknesses. I didn't even think it had that many weaknesses. I didn't think it was as good as WandaVision overall, but I thought it was very, very solid. And you're right. It was all about character development. It was all about narrative and story. And it was all about going on this journey of both with Bucky starting off in one place, ending in a completely different place. Sam starting off in one place, ending in a completely different place. And that journey and evolution in the characters as they go. When you do characters right, you've gotten a head start on making your story, whether it's a TV show or movie, Really, really compelling. All right, next up. Ma La writes, Hey, John, a friend of mine who was adopted... Scroll! Sorry. Uh, a friend of mine who was adopted found out that boxing commentator Hall of Famer Bob Sheridan uh, is his biological father. Interesting. Uh, was was all over the news. I haven't heard of that. Uh, apparently, a biopic is being done called Eagle Has Landed, starring Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone. I have not heard of that either. I've not heard of that either. But either way, that's actually a pretty cool story. Anybody who was an adopted individual to find out that their birth mother or father uh, was somebody else interesting, it was somebody of note or of interest, that's actually pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Mala. All right, next up, Narf writes, but John, why weren't the Avengers there to help Falcon? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, or am I? Of course, one of the big problems that we always knew was going to be a uh, thing was... Uh, with uh, uh, cinematic universes is everybody's going to ask in every movie and show, why doesn't every other hero show up to help? And we got to move past it. Anyway, thanks for, for rubbing that in, Narf. All right, next up, uh, Melkor Zilla writes, John, if Mando had a car, would it be the best car? Uh, I'm not even going to give you a drum shot for that one. I am not even going to give you a drum shot for that one. The best car you've ever seen. Also, I can't wait until Grogu starts talking and says his second word and then his first word. Ah, see that one, that I'll give you, I'll give you the drum shot for that one because Yoda speaks in reverse. Get it? Says the second word, then his first word. Okay. That one I'll give you. That first Mando one is terrible. Terrible. Never, never say that one again. Wherever you go, if you're, you know, you know, getting up on a girl somewhere, you think you want to give her a nice smooth line to get her interest. Take my advice. Do not use that one. Don't use that one. All right. Next up, Daniel Skinner writes, uh, hello, Mr. Campia. It has officially been reported that Rick uh, Riordan is casting people who can play, uh, who can play 12 for the upcoming Percy Jackson Disney plus series. And I'm glad they're accurate to the casting. Unlike the films, what are your thoughts? I'll be honest with you. I think the films did it better. But John, in the books, I don't care what's in the books. I, look, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't care what's in the books. I'm just giving you my honest perspective. I don't care what's in the books. I really like the first Percy Jackson movie. The second one was a step down, yes. I thought the first Percy Jackson movie was delightful. I had a really good time with it. And I think I was able to get a little bit more into it because it wasn't 11 or 12-year-old children. They, they went a little bit older. Not a ton older, but they went a little bit older. And to me, that just made it a little bit more relatable. But I'm going to know there are probably a lot of big, big fans of the book that will want it to be just like the book. And I respect that. I do. Uh, personally, I think it's a mistake. I think it's going to alienate some people who aren't familiar with the books. But whatever. Maybe it'll turn out 10 times better. 10 times better. 
So we'll we'll see where it goes. But yeah, man, I actually really like that first one. I mean, uh, uh, Logan Lerman, I think is terrific. I, I to this day, am a fan of this kid. Um, Alexander Daddario was introduced in that. I mean, and, and I just thought it was a fun little story. I just really liked it. I mean, the second one was a step down, but I liked the first one. Nicholas Piera writes, as a DC fan, I'm so jealous of Marvel's level of success. Don't get me wrong. I love the MCU, but it's complicated to see them manage their universe uh, and their different licenses so well while Warner Brothers is struggling to popularize a character like Superman. Uh, in 2021, Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson are more unifying Boy Scouts than Clark Kent. If I had been, if it, if, if I had been predicted that 10 years ago, I just refused to believe it. So yeah, I know Hamada is trying to be a good influence on all this shit, but still. Yeah, listen, I think one of the big problems that Warner Brothers has suffered has been, you know, um, George Miller, the director of Mad Max, recently kind of put it best. You know, they just announced that Mad Max's spinoff movie, the prequel Furiosa is going into development. And one of the things that George Miller said and talking about, they've been trying to get this movie greenlit for a while. He says they've been, there've been like six regime changes at Warner brothers. There've been like six regime changes. And when you have like six regime changes, it's hard to get anything accomplished and anything done. And things are constantly going in different directions. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's, you know, very plugged in, a well-known screenwriter who was saying it's difficult because getting a movie made can sometimes take five, seven, 10, 15 years. It can be like a 15 or longer year process of when a studio says, yeah, we'll make that movie. So when they actually start making it. And one of the things that they were telling me was like, like, look, you get it approved by one vice president but three weeks later, that vice president isn't there anymore. And now it's a new vice president and they may not think the same way. And now they have problems and they have notes on the script and they, and they, they, maybe they change their mind. But then six months after that, that vice president is gone. And now there's a new vice president or their senior vice president changes. And it's like, it can throw a wrench in everything. And Warner brothers over the last couple of years, has had a really big problem of stability. They've had a massive problem with stability until Walter Hamada came along. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it's once Walter Hamada came along and started to influence a stabilizing presence that we started to get incredible films like Shazam, billion-dollar films like Aquaman, a billion-dollar film, an Academy Award-winning film in Joker. We finally have Black Adam is now shooting, finally. You know, it's not that everything's been perfect, nor that everything will be perfect moving forward, but you'd be surprised just what a simple thing like some stability can do. Marvel has been like the ultimate example of stability. It's been... Up until recently, it's been Big Papa Iger as the head of all Disney, then Alan Horn as the head supreme emperor of all things movies at Disney, and then under Alan Horn, Kevin Feige. And it's been that for years. So yeah, listen, that is not a minor detail when you look at 
a lot of the consistency. Um, uh, Angel is saying Shazam was actually pretty terrible. You are so fucking wrong. <laughs> you are so fucking wrong. I mean, it's all subjective. Everybody has their own opinions. Your take is no less valid than mine. But I will tell you, film loving brother, you are so fucking wrong. Shazam is so fucking good. Anyway, that said, I really love Shazam. Um, but it's not a small detail when you look at a lot of the erraticness that is kind of surrounded Warner Brothers over the years when, when it comes to their DC properties. And you look at just the consistency and the win after win after win that Marvel's been able to have. There are many different factors that play into it, for sure. There are many different factors that play into it, but you cannot overlook the stability factor. You can't overlook the stability factor. Uh, that's that's been a big big part of it, and uh, that I mean the only honestly the only real change in like the last twelve or thirteen years was Ike Perlmutter. Now, for those of you who don't know. Uh, we won't go into the whole story of Ike Perlmutter right here and right now, but for a number of years, you know, Alan Horn, the high Lord God of all things, movies at Disney, um, between him and Kevin Feige was Ike Perlmutter, who was like the president of Marvel entertainment. And technically speaking in the org chart, Kevin Feige had to report to Ike Perlmutter. That was not a good relationship. They butted heads. Feige threatened to leave Alan Horn pulled the trigger, removed Ike Perlmutter out, and now Kevin Feige was directly reporting to Alan Horn instead of to Ike Perlmutter first and then. But other than that, everything else has remained the same. That one little shift in the org chart is the only real major bump in the road, I guess you could say, or problem that they've had uh, in terms of the stability of leadership. Whereas at Warner Brothers, and, and with DC in particular, it felt like for a while, every six months, it was, now Johns is doing this. Ben Affleck is now going to overlook this. Now so-and-so is the head of this. Now so It felt like every six months, there was this reorg. And there was no stability. And I, I think that's, that's one of the big, not the only thing, but I think that's one of the big things that plays into that. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how everything starts to now evolve over with DC. I think good things are coming in under the DC banner. I think very good things are coming. And I think a lot of that is going to be because they are now under some stability and some stable leadership. And we'll see where that goes. I think it's going to pay off. They still have some big problems that they've inherited, but I think it's going to pay off big time as they move forward. Okay, next up. Uh, where are we at? Hail Hydra writes, Hey, John. Greetings from Norway. Greetings, Hail Hydra from Norway. I just started another rewatch of Lars Van Tier's 1990s TV show, The Kingdom. God, there are like five different shows called Kingdom or The Kingdom. Seriously, go look at them. There's like five of them. Anyway, a uh, Danish hospital soap horror hybrid. It's awesome. I strongly suggest you check it out. I, I do not have time to watch stuff like that. I think it's available on Amazon in the U.S. I've never even heard of this one, although they're all a ton of stuff. It, Lars, uh, Lars Van Tier is also very... How do you describe the work of Lars von Tier? It's certainly not for everybody. And it's a little hit and miss. I mean, when he hits, he's like an artistic master. And sometimes you just wonder, is this guy out of his gourd? 
I mean, it's a little bit like that, but anyway, I've not even heard of this one, but thanks for putting on my radar, man. I wasn't even familiar with it before. All right, next up. Uh, Obster writes, um, where are we going? There it is. I personally believe a Scarlet Witch movie could happen. Everything in the MCU could happen. Let, let, let's just get that out of the way first. Everything in the MCU is, could happen. Um, a, uh, I don't know, Rocket Raccoon solo film could happen. A She-Hulk movie, she's getting her own Disney Plus series, but a She-Hulk movie could happen. A Scarlet Witch movie could happen. I mean, it's everything that's under the MCU thing right now, all of it is a possibility that could be a movie. Anyway, uh, Black Widow kind of shows it's never too late. And like Cap 4, Scarlet Witch could spring from WandaVision's success. Um, bring back Agatha in there and it could be one banger of a movie. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Yeah, you totally could. I don't think they they plan on it, but it's definitely a possibility. Again, I don't think any more of a possibility or less of a possibility than any other individual character, a Wasp standalone movie. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely on the table. It's something they could do moving forward. Then again, I kind of think Wanda's going to die in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I don't strongly feel that way. I just, I, I kind of think she may die in multiverse. Man. I think that might be the end of Wanda's storyline. I don't know. We'll see where they go. All right. Next up. Uh, Alan writes, Hey, John and Rob, I saw mortal Kombat twice this past weekend and I loved it. I would love to see someone like Scott Derrickson, James Wan, Chad Stilisky, or David Leach. Those are the two, uh, John wick guys di- direct the sequel. What would you think? I mean, you could, I don't generally play fan casting with movies or directors. Like I don't, I I don't care about what do you think of X actor directing X movie? I I will say this though. While I believe Simon McQuad, I think that's the guy's name who directed the first, this mortal Kombat. I do think he can get better. And I do think he'll grow from this experience. And I look forward to seeing what he does next. I think you cannot let him direct the next one. So you have to get another director. So I'll just say what I say about whenever anybody asks me, John, what do you think about X actor and X role? Or John, what do you think about X director directing X movie? I'll just tell you what I always say. As long as it's a good director, just get a talented director. You know, pair, just don't do a first time director again with Mortal Kombat. I, I, although, you know, Mortal Kombat's not a bad movie property to, you know, insert a first time director, but you know, a first-time director with a first-time screenwriter, and it just, I don't know. I think now, if you, if you do another one, and I'm not sure they're going to do another one, but if you do another one, open up the bank account a little bit, spend a little bit extra money on a decent director, and get a little bit of an experience. No, you don't have to go out and get, you know, James Wan. I'm sure James Wan has no interest in doing a Mortal Kombat movie, but you don't have to get somebody like a James Wan, but go and get somebody with a little bit of a track record, uh, has shown that they've got talent and chops as a director, and then go ahead, and I'd be very interested to see what they do with that. Uh, Martin writes, you seriously need to read Dance of the Dragons by George R.R. Martin. I, I don't really have any interest in reading the books. Uh, I guarantee the the, pre, the prequel show is using this book for the series. It's a great book and has great characters. Well, we've already known that they've kind of referenced the events that are going to happen in House of the Dragon. 
in Game of Thrones. They've talked a little bit about the Dance of Dragons and the Targaryen Civil War and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure that stuff was in the books and maybe that's the book itself uh, that it was in. I don't personally have any interest of reading the Game of Thrones books, especially now that I've watched the show. I, I just don't have any interest. I don't do a lot of that. I'll either read books or I'll watch the shows or movies. I don't often do both uh, for the same property, but I think you're probably right. I mean, that's probably is grounded in there since we heard it referred to in the show. So you're probably completely right about that, Martin. All right, next up, James Bonner writes, uh, good morning, John. Good morning, James. Uh, there's some good news for Roku users. They have a new controller with voice capability. That's good. And uh, four shortcut keys are now customizable. That is great. That is great news because one of my big complaints, I've been a Roku user a long time, right? But one of my big complaints is that, let me see if I can cover my face here. There you go. These four buttons at the bottom here, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, Sling. That's great that they give us these shortcut buttons on these remotes. But it has always infuriated me that they have not let us program which service we want these. Like it's, it, And they do it on purpose. They, it, they specifically make it so you can't change it. They have the ability to let us do it. I was like, what's the app I use most on, on my Roku? YouTube. But there's no YouTube button here. Give me the ability to say the first button is YouTube. The second button is Disney Plus. The third button is Amazon Video. The fourth button is Hulu. Whatever. Give me the opportunity to program that. That is a great move. It's long overdue, but I think it's a really, really good move for them to finally do that. And I like voice because my main TV, like in here and in my bedroom, Anna and I use Roku. In our main TV in our living room, I use one of those uh, Google TV Chromecasts. I love it. It's great. And it's got the built-in voice command thing with, with uh, Google Assistant. I'm completely hooked on it now. So to have the Rokus introduce voice control as well, I think that would be a great move. Great, great move. All right. Last question of the day, guys, comes to us from Ben Rayner. And Ben Rayner writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. I have an opinion on American Remake. I'm sorry I don't see the issue. I'm sorry I don't see the issues with remakes. I like foreign films. The originals won't go away. I just don't like people complaining about it. Uh, part two, uh, give people options. Some people can read subtitles, can't read subtitles that quick. It really annoys me when people bitch. Shut up and let people enjoy the film the way they want. Sorry for the rant, but this topic grinds my gears. Thanks for all you do. Bring on the filthy. Well, thanks for that, Ben. And what Ben is referring to is yesterday on the John Campia show, uh, Rob and I were talking about that, uh, what's it called? Another round, uh, the Mads Mikkelsen Danish film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and his production company, Appian Way, just won a bidding war to win the North American rights to that movie. So they're going to remake that film in North America. And it brings up a debate that happens quite often about, you know, should Hollywood remake for great foreign films? And I think they absolutely should. Nobody would know Infernal Affairs if it wasn't for The Departed. So many people never would have seen the, the original Asian version of The Ring had it not been for The Ring in North America. You know, uh, a lot of people never would have seen the story of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo if it wasn't for the Daniel Craig version that came out. Like, 
I think it is great. And this, this snobbish, elitist attitude of, well, if people don't want to watch the original Persian version, they don't deserve to see that story. Ah, oh, shut up. Shut up. If it's a great story and there's a potentially great movie to be made, but it's not accessible for a lot of people right now because a lot of people, look, a lot of the average movie-going audience, I don't know why, and I wish they did, but a lot of the average movie-going audience don't like foreign films. They don't want to read subtitles, whatever. Hey, listen, I don't get it, but I accept it. That's cool. So what's our response? Well, then let's never let that story get the recognition it deserves. I think that's an ass-backwards way of looking at it. Um, and, and by the way, every once in a while, you'll get a film like The Departed that won Martin Scorsese's first Academy Award, won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's amazing. You know, I personally think Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with the dragon, uh, the dragon, the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Daniel Craig's version. I think it's better than the original. Everybody gets mad at me when I say that, but I really do think that I think it's anyway. So I agree with you, Ben. Uh, I, I agree with you on that. All right. Listen, guys. There are still more questions to go. Just a few left here. We got James Argenta and Jonathan from Canada and Tammy M. Do not worry, guys. We will start off tomorrow's live questions with yours. We'll pick up right where we left off. And we should get through them all pretty quick because there's only like seven or eight left. So, yeah, make sure you guys come back and join us tomorrow. So that will do it, guys, for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions and tips. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until tomorrow, my friends... Bye-bye.